Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host once again for this week's episode. Thank you for joining me. What I'm going to do for you this week on the show is actually share the presentation that I did this past week at Vision for the Tech Talks segment, right? So this is after Vision. So if you were there, you attended it, you already heard this. I might add a couple things in just because I don't have a any sort of a time constraint here on the podcast, but it'll be very similar to what I presented uh, for my half hour uh, section during Tech Talks. Now, if you're not familiar with what Tech Talks is, this is a segment uh, that's been running for a few years in Vision. Uh, I've attended it and watched it, and it's, it's a really cool segment, really spearheaded by Matt Fonslow. Um, the idea is is to give uh, people in the automotive industry a chance to get up in front of their peers at the premier training event in our industry and present some material, maybe a case study or just something that they want to share with the industry. But for people that don't necessarily have a ton of experience doing this um, and giving you a short period of time, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes to do instead of a full four or an eight hour class, right? That's a big thing to take on if you've never done it before. Um, I mean, even this half hour one is a pretty big undertaking, you know, for somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience talking in front of a group. And I mean, not only a group, but a really smart group of individuals, right? This is the best of the best that attend this training and you got to get up there in front of them and, uh, try to put your best foot forward, uh, can definitely be nerve wracking. I was definitely nervous. Um, the other speakers knocked it out of the park. Uh, Tommy Oliva, Pedro De De La Torre, Hans Jorgensen, and Kamala. Sorry, I don't remember your last name right off the top of my head, Kamala, but everybody knocked it out of the park. Um, it was, it was really, really good. Um, you know, I got to watch them present uh, once mine was done and uh, I really, really enjoyed it. But I'm going to share my presentation here with you today. So um, also uh, be aware if you're listening to this audio only, I'm going to record it with my PowerPoint. So there will be a video posted with this exact same audio, but with visuals. And for this presentation, it was made with a PowerPoint and the visuals do definitely enhance it, but I will do my best to describe what's going on um, without pictures. But if you want to check it out, go to the Facebook link and you will find a, a YouTube link with the video. Again, exact same audio, but there'll be some visuals along with it. All right. So let's get started here. Um, the first thing I'm going to ask everybody out there in listener land is who has seen uh, any of the Terminator films? 
And I'm thinking particularly the first two from the late 80s, early 90s. Terminator 1 and 2 are really the only ones that count in my mind. Um, the, you know, there was other ones. I didn't really care for them too much. Um, but those first two, man, James Cameron knocked it out of the park, especially the second one, right? Um, great, great films. And if you're not familiar with the films, if you haven't seen them, uh, the premise is that a hostile artificial intelligence called Skynet, which is built by humans, has taken over the world and is trying to eradicate humans, right? And this is in the year 2029, which isn't too far from right now. And there's a human resistance trying to fight back, prevent humans from being eradicated. And at one point, the artificial intelligence Skynet sends a cyborg assassin back in time in order to kill the unborn leader of the human resistance, right? And the human resistance also sends a soldier back, Kyle Reese, to protect Sarah Connor, who's the mother of John Connor. But then he ends up becoming John Connor's father. And the Terminator, that's the cyborg assassin that's sent back, his CPU is actually used and reverse engineered in order to make the artificial intelligence Skynet, right? So we have some time paradoxes in the movie, which are pretty interesting. I like stuff with time travel, um, but I'm not going to get into that today. Um, I'm probably not the qualified person to do that anyways, but my focus here and where it ties into the movie is artificial intelligence, okay? And particularly how artificial intelligence is going to affect the automotive world, us as technicians, right? And there's no doubt in my mind that artificial intelligence is going to change many aspects of our lives in wildly different ways that it's going to be hard to predict all the different ways that it will affect us. But for this presentation, I'm narrowing this in on automotive and even more so than just automotive, right? Because we could go into autonomous vehicles, um, I want to focus in on how is this going to affect us as technicians, as the people diagnosing and fixing the cars? How will it affect our day-to-day? -day? How will it help us? Could it potentially replace us? Maybe it makes us lazy, combination thereof. Um, and we, of course, we don't know what's going to happen, but I find it extremely interesting and I see a lot of potential for this to be a very useful tool for us in certain ways. And that's what I'm going to share today with you with this presentation. In order to do that, I am going to utilize a artificial intelligence system uh, that's been kind of front and center lately. Um, you probably have heard of it. You may have used it. And this is ChatGPT. Um, me and Fonzo did a podcast on it not that long ago on his show. So you can check that out. Uh, of course, it's been all over uh, the internet and um, people posting videos about it and stuff like that. Um, if you're not familiar with what this is, uh, ChatGPT is created by open source AI. You can log in or you have to make an account. You log in, it's free, and then you can use this. And it's just a chat bot. And uh, the GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. And I'll explain a little bit about what that means uh, as I describe this to you. But if you're not familiar with what this is, it is a language model. That's what this is defined as. And a language model 
its sole job is to receive a text input and then predict the next word or series of words after that initial input, right? So we get input, we process, we output what is the next most probable series of words after the initial input, okay? That's all language model is designed to do. That's it. And you've probably used a very simplistic, and and that's relative terms, but in comparison to ChatGPT, a simplistic version of this on your cell phone. When you go to text on your cell phone and you write, I am going to the, it's going to suggest some words like bank, store, gym, and then you'd click on one of those and it auto-fills it, right? That's a predictive language model. It is trying to predict the next word that you're going to type. And some of those systems are pretty good. Uh, If you do Gmail, it'll predict a whole sentence for you, right? Well, this system, this chat GPT is that on steroids times a million. It's um, wildly more capable uh, than the simple language model that's built into your text system on your phone. And I'm going to demonstrate that here for you today. Now, how this was constructed, and don't ask me for the exact technical details, but it was trained, and that's the P, the pre-trained portion of this on a snapshot of the internet up to 2021. So it doesn't have live internet access, but it was giving 45 terabytes of text information from the internet. Now, I don't know exactly where from, I don't know exactly what it had access to and what it didn't, but a enormous amount of information that it's able to reference when we give it a text input for it to give us an output. And it uses, and this is the revolutionary technology portion of it, it uses what's called a transformer, which is a type of neural network. And a neural network is modeled off of the way our brains work, the neurons in our brains, um, in order to process all of the text that it's been trained on to take your input and spit out a pretty impressive output at a really impressive speed. And again, I'm going to demonstrate this here for you today. So I'm going to give you an example of this. And again, for the listeners, I'm going to read off at times I'm going to have to summarize, but there, it, it is again, very impressive. The amount of text it's able to output from a simple input in a very short amount of time. But we log into chat GPT and it's just a search bar. That's it. And you can type anything you want in there, hit send, and it's going to come up with something. So a quick example, just how this works. I'm going to put in there, write a joke about being, about working as an automotive technician. That's what I'm going to put in the search bar. And then I will hit the enter button and see what it comes up with. So it's going to write a joke here. Why did the automotive technician quit his job at the muffler shop? Because it was exhausting work. Okay, that's fun. And it can do some fun things. Uh, Really where this, some of this lies is how you prompt it. You can get some pretty cool stuff. Again, just a quick example so you understand how it works. Okay, but relating this back to cars and our jobs as technicians, I was trying to think for this presentation um, how we can kind of tie this into our world, um, the automotive repair industry. And one of the first things that came to mind, because you ask this thing a lot of questions, was would it be able to pass an ASE test? 
right? That's our bar. That's our standard of competency in the automotive field. And you can say what you want about the tests. That's fine. But that's what we have, right? And a lot of us have taken the ASC tests and they're multiple choice. So I figured this thing should be able to answer a multiple choice test. Um, So I, I thought I'd give this a trial run and I picked one question from the A8 practice test and I input this into chat GPT. And the question reads, the technician finds that no spark and no injector pulses on a vehicle that will not start. The cause could be a failed mass airflow sensor, crankshaft position sensor, throttle position sensor, fuel pump module. I type it in, and this is the answer it gives. Based on the symptoms described, the most likely cause of the problem is a failed crankshaft position sensor. The CKP sensor provides information to the engine control module and about the position and the speed of the crankshaft, which is critical for proper engine operation. If the ECM does not receive the signal from the CKP sensor, it will not send a signal to the spark plug of the fuel injectors, which can result in no start condition with no spark and no injector pulses. And then goes on with another paragraph about why the other ones would not cause this. So... It's a little wordy, but it did get the correct answer. That's what we're looking for there is crankshaft position sensor is the failed component. Okay. So it's able to answer a ASE question. And again, a little wordy. I just need to see if I'm actually giving it a test, uh, but it was able to answer it and it was able to answer it correctly. Okay. So the next step is going to be giving it a full or a portion of a full test. So what I did was I took the A1 engine repair ASE practice test, which has 25 questions on it, and I copy and pasted those into chat GPT one at a time and scored it against the actual correct answers on the test. Now, the reason I picked the A1 test is because I figured it would have very few, if any, wiring diagrams. It did have one and then it had two other illustrations. So there were three of the 25 questions that were unusable because of illustrations. This is solely a text-based input. It can't take illustrations. I could have typed out the descriptions, but I wasn't going to do that. So three right off the bat, it's going to get incorrect. Okay, so let's just say it's out of 22 total. It scored an 11 out of 22, 50%. Not that great. It fails, right? So our jobs are safe. Sweet. Um <laughs> And I will say this on the practice test, if you've ever taken them, there's some gray areas in some of the questions like, well, what if I was working on this car? And on a few of its very wordy answers for all of these questions, I was like, well, okay, I see your argument. Actually, you have a point there. And then some of them, it just got plain wrong. Okay. And then it got some correct. So um, that doesn't really get us anywhere, right? Okay. So it can't pass an ASE test. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about, and I noticed while I was using this, if you go to the very front page of chat GPT, this is as soon as you log in, before you type anything, there's a list of things on there and it says capabilities right on the front. First thing you see, and it says, remembers what users said earlier in the conversation and allows users to provide follow-up corrections. So my thought here is, am I able to give it? the information that ASE is referencing for these questions and have it get the answer correct. You know, not necessarily tell it what the correct answer is, but give it information and then see if it can correct itself. That's what I'm wondering because I go back to, I don't know what information this was trained on in the first place, right? Did it have access to an ASE training manual when it was pre-trained on the, the 45 terabytes of text data? I don't know. 
I'm not sure I didn't make this thing. Um, and I don't know that it's necessarily out there exactly what it had access to, but can I give it this information? Because it says, remembers what users said earlier in the conversation. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to take one question that this got wrong for, and it, right, it's a 50%, but I'm just picking one question. And the question it got wrong said, during a diagnosis, the technician observes that the engine vacuum is 12 inches of mercury with the engine warm and idling. Which of these could be the cause? A plugged air filter, retarded valve timing, low fuel pressure, or a cracked exhaust manifold? All right. No, we're looking for B, retarded valve timing. It picked none of the above, which wasn't an option. It said all of these are wrong because, and this is its answer, because 12 inches of vacuum is normal. Okay. Again, I don't know what information is referencing. And you could make the argument on this question. I'm not so hung up on this particular question. You could make the argument on this question. Well, what engine are we talking about? What elevation are we talking about? Right. And I'll, I'll definitely give that to you. I'm not so hung up on those details. What I am curious about is, can I give it the information that ASE is referencing for the correct answer on, on this particular application and see if it can correct itself? So what I did was I went to Motor Magazine and it has an article about vacuum testing. And so I copy and pasted the entire article. And this is paragraphs and paragraphs of data. And I'm a slow reader. So it took me about 15 minutes to read through this, but it has like vacuum gauge levels and vacuum testings and problems that you can see. And I copy and pasted it directly into the search bar of ChatGPT. And then it gave me an answer with a question mark on it, like Jeopardy style. I'm not so sure about that, but what I'm going to do now, um, so I'm still in the same chat here. I'm going to ask it the exact same question again. So I'm going to copy the first question that I asked it about the vacuum level, which it got incorrect before. And I'm going to put that back into the search bar. I'm going to ask this question again. Now it has paragraphs and paragraphs of information. I didn't say straight out, Hey, you got that question wrong, but I'm going to ask it again with the information. And now it says the correct answer is B retarded valve timing. And it's going to go through why this makes sense now. It's saying uh, the normal vacuum is 17 to 22 inches. And it's telling me why the other ones are incorrect now. Okay. So my point here is that what information it has access to is key. And then once it has access to that information, the processing speed is where the really impressive part takes place. Okay. So that's great and all. We can give it the answer and it can pass an ASE test. I mean, what's different than a normal technician, right? You read the information and then you go take the test. You get the answer right. Sweet. Awesome. Well, can it actually help me fix a car? Can it help me diagnose a problem with a vehicle? That's the next thing I was wondering about. And full transparency here for this short case study I'm about to present to you. I didn't do it live at the car. I had already fixed the car. I knew what the problem was. But I worked it through steps to see, could it get me to where I need to go? So what I've got here is a 2014 Ford Flex. This Ford Flex has Ford's intelligent access key system, which is a smart key system, right? So we have the buttons on the fob to lock, unlock, trunk, panic, remote start. Um, but we also have a push button start feature within the vehicle. So you hop in with the key in your pocket, you press the button and the engine starts up, ideally. Okay, this one didn't do that. That was why I was called into this vehicle. 
And the shop actually provided me with a lot of information up front. They had tried some stuff to try to remedy this situation and they weren't able to get to a solution. So the customer concern is when they get into the vehicle and they have the smart key present, they press the start button on the dash and they get a message saying no key detected. Okay, that's the issue that they found. They've tried both of their keys and they actually had two keys for this vehicle. They changed the batteries in those keys and the shop actually programmed in a new key. They had the capability of doing that and it didn't change anything. Same thing with a brand new key. I don't know where they got it from, right? Could still be a key problem, but three ones are doing this exact same thing. So it's unlikely, although possible. Here's the other thing about the keys. All three of them, the RF functions, or I should say RKE functions work. And that means the lock and the unlock buttons on the fob, the car actually responds to, right? So you can be standing 30 feet away from it, hit the unlock button and the car unlocks. But you take that same remote, you get into the vehicle, you press the start button, it says no key detected, all right? If you take any of those three keys, and you put them into the center console emergency or backup receiver, the car starts up normally, okay? So those keys are programmed to the car. It recognizes them as the proper keys, but it has to be in the emergency slot in the center console to do so. If you just have it in your pocket or anywhere in the vehicle, it won't start. Uh, They also didn't find any DTCs relating to key issues. So that's where I'm at. And that's a decent amount of information for me. I can maybe eliminate a few things going into this diagnosis, but it's my job to figure out exactly what's going on. So real quick, and again, if you're listening, there is a diagram in the PowerPoint that might be helpful to understand this. I'm going to go through system description operation for this Ford um, because I didn't totally know every single module involved and the series of events that takes in order for the push button start system to work on this one. So The diagram kind of helps, so take a look at that if you need to, but here's how this works. If you have the key in your pocket or in the vehicle, you hop in the vehicle, you press the stop-start switch on the dash, right? That's to start up the vehicle. That stop-start switch feeds the RFA module, which is Remote Function Actuator. The RFA module sees that and triggers the passive antennas, which are located throughout the vehicle, one close to the driver's seat. They work on a low range and a lower frequency radio signal. They send a low frequency 125 kilohertz signal out to your key, which is hopefully in your pocket or somewhere in the vehicle. That key responds to that with a high frequency 115 megahertz signal which is then received by the Tire Pressure Monitoring Module, or TPM module. TPM module then relays that information back to the RFA module, and then the RFA module is going to trigger the BCM to turn on the run-start relays. Okay, so that's our series of events. It goes start, stop, switch, RFA module, passive start antennas to the key, and then the key to the TPM module, and then to the RFA. Again, if that's confusing, check out the diagram. It makes it a little bit more clear. Now, full disclosure, that took me about 20 minutes to read and digest and understand before I actually got into the diagnosis of this car, right? Um, And I do that all the time. I read up, okay, this is how this thing works. All right, now I can tackle it because I understand how it works. All right. So before we get into what I did on the vehicle, let's punch this into chat GPT and see what it comes up with. 
So the first thing I did is I just gave it the initial complaint of the customer, meaning I hop into the car with the key, I press the button, I get the no key detected message. How can I diagnose this problem? And I did tell the, the chat GPT that it's a 2014 Ford Flex. So it says, if you experience a problem with your intelligent access key system and you see a no key detected message on your dash, here are a few things you can do to diagnose the problem. And I'm gonna summarize here. Check the battery. Um, and it's saying to check the battery in the key fob. Try a different key. Check for interference. Check the receiver. Check the keyless entry system module. If none of these steps resolve the issue, you may need to take your vehicle to a professional mechanic or dealership for further diagnosis or, or repair. So it's still suggesting us to fix the car, which is a good thing, right? Um, this is all good information, right? Spare key, battery, interference, receiver, keyless entry system module. It doesn't say exactly what that is. But this is kind of just basic information, right? That somebody, if they had basic information on how a smart key system worked, they wouldn't necessarily have to be a professional technician to suggest the same thing. You could probably find this on Google. It's vague, it's general, right? Not bad information by any means. And it very quickly came up with this. And again, I summarized that. There's a lot of text in this. But it's it's basic information. For a professional technician, you probably already are aware of most of this. Maybe you didn't think about the interference portion of it, um, but it would be something to check for. Okay. Now, back to what I was talking about before, the, the information that this has access to. I'm doubtful that it has access to the specific description operation of this intelligent access system on this Ford. So my thought is, can I give it the system description operation for this intelligent access system and then get more detailed test methods out of it? So that's what I'm going to try here. And first thing I did is I actually asked it the question, if I give you detailed information on the system description operation, can you provide me with more detailed tests? And it says, sure, put some info in and I'll see what I can do. So I went right to Ford service information and I copied paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of the system description operation for this IA key system. And I pasted it into the search bar of chat GPT. Now, again, this took me about 20 minutes to read, process and understand. And I punched this in. And no sooner is it going to revamp its test methods. So again, I'm going to summarize these for you. But what it's saying is thank you for providing specific, excuse me, thank you for providing the specific system operation for the start-stop ignition switch system with intelligent access on your Ford Flex. Based on the information provided, here are some steps you can take to diagnose the no key detected message. All right. So it's saying check the battery in your IA key. So now it's referencing it as, you know, Ford's actual terminology. And of course, we want to do that. And keep in mind, I have not told it what we've done so far with a new key and batteries and the backup transceiver. It knows none of that at this point. Check for excessive ambient radio frequency interference. Check the backup transceiver. Okay, so now it's referencing a specific component in the system, the backup transceiver, because it didn't say anything about that at first. But now that we've given it 
the information and I know you, if you're listening, you didn't see the information that I put into the chat GPT, but it listed out all the components in there and it described about, okay, if the key doesn't work, you can put it into the backup transceiver and the car may be able to recognize it that way. So again, now it's referencing a specific component within this system. And then finally, it says to check the RFA module. And then if none of these steps, uh, it says to bring it to a qualified technician who can further diagnose and repair the issue. Again, recommending us, which is a good thing. Okay, so now I want to bring it up to speed on what we have done, right? And I'm going to tell it the keys test okay. And although I'm not 100% on the keys just yet, the third key had been tried and they all do the same thing. So odds are the keys are okay. Again, we need to do some more tests to verify that 100%, but I'm going to tell it, okay, keys test okay. And when we put the key in the backup transceiver, the car starts. What would be my next test method? So I'm going to type that into the search bar and it's going to punch out the next test for me to do. So it says, if the key has been tested and is functioning properly and the vehicle starts when the key is placed in the backup transceiver, the next step would be to check the operation of the passive start antennas and the TPM module, right? So it's surmised based on what we've done that these are the next components to check. And in real life, those are the next components to check, right? Is the the passive start antennas and the TPM module operating the way it's supposed to, because if you remember the description operation, those are involved with triggering the key to tell the TPM module that, Hey, I'm here. And the TPM module is there to receive the signal and send it back to the RFA module. It goes on to say the passive start antennas are responsible for detecting the presence of the key inside the vehicle. And the TPM module communicates with the key to verify its authenticity. A malfunction in either of these components can cause the no key detected message. To test the passive start antennas, the technician can use the diagnostic scan tool to check for any related diagnostic trouble codes. If there are no DTCs, they can perform a physical inspection of the antennas to check for any damage or loose connections. To test the TPM module, the technician can use the scan tool to communicate with a module to check for any DTCs. They can also perform a key programming procedure to reprogram the key to the module, which may resolve any communication issues. If these tests do not identify the problem, further diagnosis may be necessary. Okay, so it's dialing us into specific components here. Now, I tried to go more specific than this and ask about like key testing and it didn't have a whole lot for me. Kind of went in circles at this point. I didn't get anything more real useful at this point. Now, some of that may have been, again, what information does it have access to as far as key testing goes and what are my prompts? Am I asking the right questions? But that was about as far as I got with this that was useful to me. But it has dialed me into specific components in their operation based on the information I gave it based on the information it had access to. Okay, so let me go back to the actual car. I'll I'll let you know what I did to figure this one out, and we'll come back to the AI. Um, I used a tool called the Proximity Smart Key Tester made by the Diagnostic Box. If you're doing smart key stuff, you should have one of these. They're super awesome. You can buy it at AES Wave. And what this allows you to do is not only test the 
signal from the low frequency antennas, the 125 kilohertz, but also the high frequency signal out of the key once it's triggered by said antennas. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this thing with the key, I'm going to sit in the driver's seat, and I'm going to press the start button. There's a graph that you can watch and see the... Um, the signal from those antennas in the driver's seat and it actually makes a noise too. It's visual and audible and you just press that button over and over again and you can see it that it's spitting out a signal. So I know the antenna is working at least in the driver's seat and it was all over the vehicle as well. And at the same time, you can watch to see if the high frequency 315 megahertz signal comes out of the key, right? Because the key is supposed to receive this signal and then trigger it to send a signal out to the TPM module saying, hey, I'm here. I belong to this car. Okay. And if it's been programmed to the car, uh, it will start the vehicle. And both of those things happen with all three keys. So my keys are fine. The antennas are fine. My problem now that I, I need to go to is the TPM module. So I go into the scan tool. Again, there's no codes. I go to the TPM module, says no key detected, no key detected. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is an interference issue. I don't see anything on the proximity key tester. And sometimes you can pick up RF interference with this thing. And not 100% accurate, but I don't see anything. So I'm wondering, is it some sort of range issue, right? And my next step is I want to go closer to this TPM module, get the key right up next to it and see, does it pick this thing up, right? Now, again, it works with the RF functions, but it does not seem to receive this uh, proximity key or the they call it the PATS ID, right? To say, hey, this is the key that starts the vehicle, even though it should be the same antenna in the module. So anyways, let's find this thing in the car. I go to the component locator. I type in tire pressure monitoring module, and it is at the top of the passenger side A pillar right underneath the headliner. So it's on the roof. I look up at there because I'm going to bring the key as close to it as I can, and I see a big water stain on the headliner right at the top of the A pillar. I also am looking up and I see a sunroof. Okay, the sunroof's been leaking water in, and we pull down the headliner just enough to see this module. The module's all wet. Okay, so I think we've we're, we've solved this one, uh, you know. And I told the shop, okay, this thing's wet. Get a module, plug it in. It's plug and play on these things, and you should be good to go. Now, my one hang up was why does the, the RKE functions work, but not the prox functions? What's the difference there? And I don't have a great answer for that, except for digging through service information. And this was after the fact. Digging through service information, I did find that the RKE functions actually get sent out on a LIN bus from the TPM module, while the PATS ID function gets sent out on the medium speed CAN. So there is, although they're received by the same antenna within the module, something is processed differently in the module for the RKE and the PATS ID stuff. I don't know exactly what. I didn't take it apart. It was full of water. Let's replace it and move on, which is what I did. And that was the fix for the vehicle. Shop confirmed it for me. Cool. Awesome. Great. So I'm not so hung up on the the vehicle again. Uh, it was interesting, but the more interesting part here is how this AI system is able to analyze information, right? To take a system description operation and boil down some tests for us. That's really cool. And I'm going to add a little bit in here that I didn't have in my presentation at Vision because I was talking to a number of people after said presentation and we were, you know, 
discussing how this could be utilized even right now. Right. And here's the thing. I'm just a dumb mechanic playing around with a chatbot. Imagine a company with some real money and smart people behind this, how they could tie this in and utilize this stuff. That's where I see the potential. But I was talking to some people after uh, the show and we were talking about, well, this would be really good for summarizing a description operation to you, right? Let's put in a whole you know, pages worth of information on description operation and tell it to summarize it for me. And so I did that actually. I put in the description operation, you know, while I was doing this. And then I asked it a question. And this is, again, this is new. I didn't have this in my original presentation, but I put after just the description operation of the IA key system based on the system description I gave earlier. So I'm putting this in the chat box. Based on the system description I gave earlier about the IA key system, can you explain how it works as if I was 10 years old? So <laughs> explain it to me like I'm 10 or you know, sometimes it's explain it to me like I'm five. And let's see what it comes up with uh, as far as summarizing the information, because sometimes I feel like I need <laughs> something explained to me like I'm 10 years old. Sure, the IA key system is a special way to start your car without using a key. Instead, you have a small device called an IA key that you keep in the pocket or purse. When you get into the car and press a button to start the engine, the car sends a signal to the IA key asking if it's nearby. The IA key, if the IA key is close enough, it sends a signal back to the car saying, yes, I'm here, and the car knows it's safe to start. If the IA key is weak or there's too much interference around, there's a backup way to start the car. There's a special spot in the center console where you can put the IA key to get the car to start. The IA key also works with the car's door locks. When you press a button on the IA key, it sends a signal to the car to unlock or lock the doors. It's a really cool and convenient way to start your car and get going. So that was its like summarization for somebody special like me <laughs> to help understand the system. So I'm going to use this in the future and plug in some descriptions operations and see, can this thing summarize it for me? Um, now, we also had some people bring up some good points like, what about when service information is lacking, right? You know, the potential here is like really, really fast access to any part of service information that we want. Well, what if something's wrong? What if something's missing, right? We don't want to fully rely on this 100%, but could it really save us some time here, right? The, again, the potential here is what information it has access to. Imagine if it was plugged into Identifix or all data or factory service information, and then the speed at which it can generate answers. If you've been watching the videos, you saw how quickly it pumped this stuff out. It's really, really impressive speed. And again, you know, I'm giving it a few paragraphs of info. It was originally trained on 45 terabytes of data. It could easily take out you know, a whole vehicle or manufacturer's worth of information and then process it out to you. Um, now imagine that, but also vehicle data. Imagine if it was able to access all the vehicle data and the factory service information for a vehicle. Imagine what it's going to be able to spit out for us very, very quickly. Um, and that's where I really find this interesting and maybe even a little scary, right? Is it going to make us more efficient? Is it going to be a great tool? I think so, at least in the midterm. Does it make us lazy? Well, it's very possible. 
Um, we're going to have to think for ourselves still, right? Because it's going to get to a point where, okay, this isn't getting me any further or something's wrong here. I think the top of the top, the best of the best are going to be even that more valuable because we'll be able to think for ourselves when needed. Whereas if you rely on this fully, you're going to get pretty lazy and you're not going to be able to, to think for yourself. It's like the old thing with using Identifix to fix everything based off of the top hits. You're not thinking for yourself through a problem, right? And so what happens if you do fully rely on this type of thing in the future when it's available? I mean, this is kind of a clunky version, but I think there's going to be some serious value at least in the midterm of still being able to think for yourself through these problems. Um, but does it eventually replace us? I don't know. Maybe in the future, uh, it's interesting to think about, but that's all I've got for my presentation. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank you for everybody for, uh, that I met at vision, got to talk with. That was such a cool time. Really, really cool. Um, awesome people. Uh, that is one of my favorite events. If you've never been, I definitely recommend going, uh, the networking, the networking is outstanding and uh, yeah, everybody I met was so cool. The classes were all fantastic. I really enjoyed all of it. So that's what I've got. Thank you everybody for listening. Let's get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.